0: The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 36, The Stuff of Dreams. was great, but you could have called your story Rook and Roll, Lucas laughed. And no giant was terminally harmed in the making of this story. Well done, sir, Isabel quipped. They were together in the archive, this time in a comfortable hobbit-like library alcove. Jack discovered the area, or maybe Jack thought it and Moot thoughtfully redecorated in anticipation of their next gathering. The archives seemed to follow one rule. The tales were constant and constantly arriving and evolving. The spaces that housed them were mutable and malleable, quietly shaping stories of their own within their dimensions. I've been thinking about what I'll tell next, Lucas said. I've got one about a ring that I'm saving, but I think this time I'll tell something that has the stuff of dreams in it. Can't wait, answered Isabel, other than when I'm focused on my dissertation and when I'm planning and telling my tales, I feel like my days are a bit unreal, like I'm going around in a daze or a dream. Lucas didn't say anything. His dreams, when the timed drudgery of his life allowed him to have them, were mainly about Isabel. It was only then and in their shared stories that he felt he had a place to relax and belong. My next story won't be about giants, Jack said quietly, thinking about the story in the box written in his mother's hand. I think it will be about something small and precious. Jack was silent again. Lucas reached over and put a hand on his shoulder and Isabel took his hand as Jack pictured a snowy cabin on the edge of Tirnanog. "'Sometimes that's all any of us can hope for,' Isabel said. When it came time for Lucas's story, the audience found themselves described in gently swaying hammocks, looking up at a sky hung with slowly twirling spindles, glinting like stars, letting out and gathering up strands of softly whispering words. We'll all fall asleep if you're not careful, storyteller, Baba Yaga warned half-heartedly, settling down for the story to begin. Welcome, everyone, Lucas said. Tonight's story features a merchant's son named Ivan and several threads that seem to spin loose in a secret and prophetic dream that I will hopefully be able to capture and bind by the end. Once there was a prosperous merchant who had two sons. The eldest was Dmitri; the youngest Ivan. One night the father, bothered that he could not tell what the future held, made a strange request of his boys. My sons, the merchant said, if you should dream tonight, tell me your dreams in the morning. I'm hoping that you might help me learn the future. If you dream but fail to tell me, you will suffer for it. As luck would have it, his sons both had strange, portentous dreams that night. Without prompting, Dmitri reported to his sire, Father! I dreamed I saw our Ivan flying high in the sky, one amongst twelve eagles, and your favorite sheep was missing. And you, Ivan, did you dream? Yes, father. Tell me and spare no details. The dream was not for or about you, father, and therefore I cannot share it. You dare insult me like this, your own father! The merchant roared, "'Take my youngest son, strip him of all he has, and tie him to a post by the roadside. He is no longer any child of mine.' Although Dmitri did not join in this task, neither was he brave enough to remonstrate with his father. The servants did as their master commanded, and left poor Ivan lashed naked to a post, where he was burned by the sun bitten by mosquitoes, and chilled by rain. Were it not for the rain, Ivan would have perished sooner from thirst. After a couple of days in these straits he was nearly driven mad with hunger and discomfort. The eldest son of the Tsar rode by with his entourage and took pity on Ivan. He had him untied and dressed in his own robe given food and drink and a horse to ride, though Ivan was so weak from his ordeal that he had trouble staying in the saddle. When they were back at the palace and Ivan had been tended to and allowed to rest, the prince came and asked him how he came to be tied to a post by the roadside left to perish. My father did that because I would not tell him my dream. What a cruel parent, to treat you like that for such a trifling thing. Now me, I have a great interest in dreams. What was yours? I can't tell you either, my prince. Not right now, Ivan shook his head sadly. You'd never believe me, and that disbelief would be your doom. What? yelled the prince. You ungrateful wretch I saved your life and showed you every kindness, and you won't tell me the content of your stupid dream. Ivan stayed silent. Throw him in the dungeon. I don't have time for this. I'm off to court Elena the Wise, the fairest maid in the thrice tenth kingdom, and I shall not fail to win her. Good luck with that, sweet prince, Isabel cut in. You probably deserve each other. Lucas smiled, pleased that at least one listener was following, though he was pretty sure Jack and herself were still with the story, too. He went on. So Yvonne found himself a guest of the palace dungeon. His new accommodation was more comfortable than the post, but not by much. There was a small barred window high in the wall— if Ivan worked his way to a standing position and then strained against his bonds to stand on his toes, he could just see part of a walkway in the palace garden. The Tsarevich's sister, Tsarevna Maria, was fond of walking that path in fair weather. One day, Ivan saw her and called. She rushed to the window and bent to hear Ivan's plea. "'Please, Princess, your brother has gone to court Elena the Wise, "'but she is merciless to failed suitors. "'I had a dream. "'He will surely lose his life in this pursuit. "'Set me free. "'My dream told me how to save him.' Moved by the prisoner's earnestness, the Princess had Ivan set free and provisioned for his journey. He chose eleven other travelling companions from the palace guard— all as alike to him in face and bearing as he could find, and dressed in livery identical to his own, with mounts of the same colour. Before he set off, the princess gave him a spindle, gold on one side, silver on the other, small enough to wear as a pendant. Turn it once left for a cap to make you invisible, twice right for a pair of boots to make you as swift as the wind three times left for a flying carpet that will expand to carry you and any amount of crew and cargo. Ivan slipped the spindle's chain around his neck, thanked the Tsarevna, and set out. Hiding their horses in the forest in the temporary care of a local huntsman, and using the magic carpet, the company of twelve brave youths, Soon arrived at the court of Elena the Wise, the fairest in the land, and Ivan took them in search of the prince. They found him camped outside the palace with his retinue, eagerly awaiting his audience with his heart's desire. When the prince saw the dozen brave youths, he was very impressed, but he failed to recognize Ivan, whom he had consigned to his dungeon back home. Your Highness, Ivan bowed low as his men followed suit, please take us into your service. We can defend you and be put to many other kinds of work. The prince assigned them to guard duties, as well as looking after his horses, cooking, and so on. Although he had brought some servants, more would make him look that much more wealthy and important, and he very much wanted to impress his beloved with the help of some of his new retainers the prince prepared to meet elena almost immediately she demanded to know the purpose of his visit i would court you and win your heart the prince stammered like a love-struck stablehand elena smiled fetchingly well you wouldn't be the first but that is less important than being the only successful one tell you what I will undertake a task tonight, something that requires a mate, a pair. In the morning, present me with the pair to whatever I choose to do, and I'm yours. Fail and your life is forfeit. She swept out of the chamber without another word. The prince returned completely downcast. My life is over, he moaned, explaining the task Elena had set for him. Get some rest, my prince, Ivan assured him. The morning is surely wiser than the evening. That evening, around supper time, Ivan spun the spindle once left for the invisibility cap and twice right for the magic boots. Elena summoned her royal shoemaker to fashion one silk slipper as quickly as he could. She would send her lady in waiting for it that night. Instead, Ivan followed the shoemaker unseen back to his workshop, and stole the slipper as soon as the shoemaker completed it and turned away. "'That's funny,' the craftsman mused. "'I could have sworn I put the finished slipper right here.' He had no choice but to fashion another, which Elena's maid fetched back to her mistress in due course. Ivan waited invisibly in Elena's rooms until the other slipper was delivered. Then he saw Elena take out some sewing things and a coffer of pearls and other gems and begin embroidering the slipper. Ivan carefully matched her selections and placement and embroidered her slipper's identical pair. He took the finished slipper back to the sleeping prince, presenting it to him in the morning. Hurry, my lord, take this wedding slipper to your beloved. This completes the task. The prince presented the embroidered slipper, and Elena had no choice but to pretend to graciously accept it. Inside she was seething. We'll try again, my prince. This is a fun game, is it not? Though the stakes are rather high, me or your life. Again, Ivan did as before. This time, Elena selected a duck from the palace gardens and decorated it with ribbons and jewels. Ivan thought the task rather foolish, but selected a drake and matched Elena ribbon for ribbon, ornament for ornament. In the morning, Ivan presented the regally bedecked bird to the prince, who gave it to Elena right away. Inside, she was furious. Very well, my prince. One last task. Only why wait for the morrow? She jumped into her carriage and sped away. Ivan donned his magical accoutrements and followed after. Elena went to the seashore and summoned her grandfather, the Tsar of the Sea. An old man with long silvery locks and a golden beard emerged from the waves, greeting his granddaughter. "'Elena, my lovely!' It's been an age since I saw you. Your old grandfather had a run-in with a fishing boat the other day. They came off worse, but do see if I got all the netting out of my hair and beard, will you?" Elena took a pearl-encrusted comb with a design like sea waves from her sleeve and began combing the Sea King's hair and beard while singing a haunting air. The old king dozed off contentedly under her careful, gentle ministrations. He's very vain about his hair and beard for an old man, Elena thought to herself, but surely he won't miss a bit of his magnificence. She plucked 3 silver hairs from his head and 3 golden hairs from his beard. Let the prince match these, she breathed triumphantly. At the same moment, Two unseen hands grasped silver hair and golden beard "'and yanked out a handful of each. "'Ow!' the Tsar wailed, waking with the sudden pain. "'Watch what you're doing. "'Oh, Grandfather, I haven't done your hair for you in so long "'and it was so tangled. I'm sorry.' "'She kissed him on the cheek and his bad mood lightened. "'They bade each other farewell.' Elena hurried back to the palace, and the old king rode out to sea on the tide. When the prince presented tufts of silver and gold hair to match Elena's samples, she flounced back to her room in a fury and consulted her magic book. Who is helping the prince, she demanded. Yvonne, one of his twelve newest retainers, the book replied. Which serving man is Ivan?" she queried. They are all so named, the book replied. That night, Elena took her magic book and a pair of scissors, placing the open book close to each sleeping man so that she could read his true name. The book soon identified her nemesis, so she cut off the front curl of Yvonne's hair. Now you won't escape me, she promised. Ivan woke early and discovered his impromptu haircut he had his eleven companions cut off the same lock of hair elena couldn't tell them apart so she couldn't accuse any one of them of being the prince's secret helper there was no help for it the wedding was held and the prince and elena the wise were married The prince sent his retainers on ahead, and the twelve brave youths used the magic carpet that unfurled after three left turns of Ivan's wondrous pendant to get home to their own kingdom. They paid the huntsmen handsomely for the care of their steeds and rode straight to the palace. Ivan found the Srevena and told her that everything went quite literally like a dream. "'How can I repay you?' she asked, rejoicing in the good news." "'Reward my faithful companions and take them back into your service, "'and put me back into the dungeon until your brother gets home.' "'Although she tried to dissuade him, Ivan's mind was made up. "'Back in the dungeon he went.' "'The prince and his bride returned a few weeks later, "'and the starry-eyed groom asked after the fate of Ivan, "'You let him rot in prison because he wouldn't tell you his dream.' "'I let him out so that he could save your life "'and help you achieve your heart's desire,' his sister admonished. "'You really should learn to be nicer to future in-laws.' "'What?' "'I am older than you and plan to marry him. "'I'd learn to stay on the good side of such a resourceful brother-in-law "'if I were you,' the princess replied. "'Duly chastened, the tsarevich released Ivan, "'gave him a palace and a position in the inner circle of his court.' "'making him his closest adviser, "'Ivan and the Princess Maria were married, "'and Ivan invited his father and brother "'not just to the wedding, but to come reside with them. "'The old merchant was given a royal trading charter "'which pleased him no end, "'while Dmitri found a job as a palace groundsman "'and married one of the princess's seamstresses, "'who kept him better dressed "'than any gardener had a right to be.' And when they felt like making mischief, Ivan and Maria twirled the spindle pendant and took the magic carpet out for a spin, later bringing their several children on the magical family outings. All the children were sworn to secrecy regarding these trips, of course, which never works. Once they let me borrow the cap and ride along, which is how I know the tale I've just told. Lucas bowed to compliments and applause. The Decameron shuffled, one of hearts. Watch yourself, Jack, Baba Yaga warned. As you all know, when I drew that card, something very valuable and precious was taken from me. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kosar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.